Um, so school should really be a place of belonging for everyone. That means that we need our students to be invited into relationships, welcomed, known, accepted, um, supported and heard and ultimately befriended. Hi, welcome to Pairing Special Needs Live. Have you ever wondered what you could do better to support real friendships um, with your child and with their typical classmates? Uh, well, today we're lucky because on Pairing Special Needs Live, Dr. Elizabeth Biggs is an assistant professor of special education at Vanderbilt University, and she's leading the research focused on promoting friendship between students with and without disabilities in elementary schools. And we wanted to ask her, you know, to share with us. So please help me in welcoming um, Dr. Briggs to the show. Welcome, how are you? Hi, I'm good, how are you? So can you um, give us some background as to uh, the work that you're doing and, you know, kind of what, I'm curious as to, you know, what got you started in this and, you know, um, and why you personally feel it's important. Yeah, what a good question. Um, so now I'm a professor at Vanderbilt University, but before I started my career really as a researcher and in higher education, I was a special education teacher. So I taught for several years um, actually on the Navajo Nation, so with students who were Navajo in New Mexico. And we struggled to have real meaningful inclusion, right? We were working hard to try to make our school more inclusive. Um, but I noticed that one of the things that just made a huge difference for the educational experiences of my students was their peer relationships. And yet there were difficulties as an educator to know how to support those really well. And so that just sparked an, an interest for me. Um, now, as a researcher, as an academic, we've been doing several research uh, projects in close partnerships with schools and working with different school staff like teachers, speech language pathologists, paraprofessionals. And our goals are really to partner with these public schools to promote the full belonging of children who have disabilities. And I think that term belonging is a really helpful one. Um, obviously, we're aiming for inclusion, right? And inclusion is the word that we often use. But federal law, um, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, or IDEA, it doesn't define inclusion. It never actually gives a definition of it. And this means what people call inclusion often falls short. So you might hear a really well-meaning school staff person say that their student is going to inclusion. Um, but if inclusion is a set of values and philosophies and practices, you can't go there. It's not a place. Um, so belonging instead, I think, really connotates what we mean. It's not children kind of sitting in a classroom. Um, it's not children, you know, sitting in a classroom having limited access to the curriculum or limited access to their peers or relationships that just look like helping relationships. Instead, it's that they're really full members. Um, so school should really be a place of belonging for everyone. That means that we need our students to be invited into relationships, welcomed, known, accepted, um, supported and heard and ultimately befriended. And so with those goals in mind, um, we've been doing research projects really trying to develop intervention models that work in schools and that promote real relationships like you've talked about real friendships. And so we've gotten to work um, iteratively over time, meaning try something out, 
learn from it, try it again, make it better. And all through that time, really talking with people in the schools, uh, teachers, speech language pathologists, parents, and my favorite people to talk with kids themselves. And so that is where we've really learned a lot. So what have you learned? I want to hear about that. What have you learned from the kids? Like what do, um, what do the peers say? Yeah, we've learned so much. So uh, a few years back, we did an interview project with third and fourth grade peers who didn't have disabilities. And we wanted to know what they thought. These were all kids who were friends with a classmate with a disability. We wanted to know what they thought. To be really honest, when we started this project, I thought, I have no idea how much nine and 10 year olds have to say about this topic. And will we actually learn things from them? But my goodness, they had helpful insight to share. Um, so again, these were kids without disabilities who were friends with a classmate with an intellectual or developmental disability. Most of their friends had autism or intellectual disability. And there were some, some kids with some pretty complex support needs. So mostly non-speaking kids, kids who were using other forms of communication, like gestures, body movements, um, or different types of what's called aided augmentative and alternative communication, AAC. So things like speech generating device or pictures. Um, so the point of saying that is just sort of characterizing, right, who these kids were. Um, so we asked the peers, again, the kids without disabilities, lots of questions. First, about any friend they picked. So we just said, you know, just pick your, pick a friend who you want to talk about. And then we asked them the same questions about their friend who had a disability. And the questions were things like what friendship means to them, how they became friends, maybe what they like about being friends, what was challenging about being friends. And we really felt that if we could learn these things from kids' perspectives, my goodness, that would be really helpful for adults who want to help support true friendships uh, rather than things that look more like helping relationships, right? Where peers are just kind of helping kids with disabilities. So here's what we learned. Um, first, we learned that friendships look and feel very different at this age. And what I mean by that is some of the friendships that kids described really were what I would call an affinity friendship, meaning like we like the same things, we do the same things, we have some things in common, I think they're pretty cool, right? That's kind of the extent of the friendship, an affinity friendship. So a lot of the friendships looked like that. Only a few friendships were what I would characterize as really being like intimate and lasting. But what was so interesting was it didn't matter if it was the friend with the disability or not. These were just variations of friendships. So some of the friendships with kids with disabilities were in fact affinity friendships. I like them, I think they cool. they're cool. We do some of the same things. Some were actually intimate friendships. Some friends among kids without disabilities were affinity-based and some were more intimate. And I think the point of that, especially in these elementary years, is to know that that's just really common. Friendships don't have to look or feel a certain way. So when we're thinking as adults about how do we support real friendships, know that real doesn't mean one thing. It doesn't have to look just one way. Um, so that's one of the things that we learned. Another thing that we learned though, was that these kids helped us to really identify what we came to think about as what we called key agents of friendship development. That's a weird word. Uh, what we really mean are like the things that helped them become friends or become better friends. So we didn't ask kids to list these. That of course would have been strange. We just asked them to tell stories about how they became friends. 
And from those stories, it became really clear that the things that make friendship happen are the same, whether it's with a friend with a disability or not. And so let me give an example. One of these like key agents of friendship was about communication and interaction. To become friends, you've got to have a way to communicate. And so that was the same for everyone, but it did look different. So for example, to become friends with their classmate with a disability, peers needed to have a way to communicate. They needed to understand all the different ways that their friend communicated, whether that was with pictures or gestures. They needed to have some simple ways to support communication that felt natural to them. So kids talked about things like wait time and things like repeating uh, the interaction in a different way. They talked about all of these different things that helped them communicate. So communication was a key agent across all these friendships. So the, the key agents themselves, communication and interaction, having time together, so being together, doing things, learning about one another, and then one that was a little bit more personal, like personal growth and change. So as I learn about myself, I can like become a better friend that showed up too. And then other people. So kids talked a lot about how other friends, like other kids helped them become better friends and also adults like educators or their parents helped them with their friendships. So we learned that friendships look different. We learned that there were these things that really helped make friendships happen. And third, we learned that there really are differences in how kids perceive their friendships with their friends who have disabilities, but those differences weren't bad. And I think that sometimes as adults, we can be like scared of the word different when we're thinking about teaching kids without disabilities, how to think about disability. Like if we talk about it as being different, kids will automatically think that different is bad. Um, but that wasn't true for the kids that we spoke with. Different didn't always mean bad. They knew there were differences, but differences could be good. And so it wasn't that their friendship with the classmate with a disability was the same as their other friendships, um, but it really was created uh, the same ways. So we came to think about this as um, like, imagine you had a picture of a friendship and then you overlaid a color overlay, like a, a blue transparent overlay. Okay. The substance is exactly the same, but it's filtered, it's colored. And so that's how kids experience friendships with someone with a disability. It's still a friendship. The substance is exactly the same, but it's colored. And so those colorings were things like how their friend liked to play or how their friends communicated or their friend's behavior. And we found it so interesting that kids talked about those differences in pretty different ways. So kids with more intimate friendships with their friends with disabilities talked about those differences like strengths. Like there was one girl who was like, oh, my friend, he's so cool. He acts totally himself around me, meaning he does some things that are a little bit different. And she said, I knew right from the start we were going to be great friends because he was just himself around me. Another child, friends with this same boy with a disability would say, things a little differently. Like sometimes I don't know what to do because he does things that are different. And we started to realize that how kids thought about disability really mattered. So the kids who really identified disability as being related to weakness or need for support 
they struggled a little bit to develop more intimate relationships. But other kids saw disability as just a difference and that all people are different. And they could articulate those things. They could also articulate that their friend wasn't just a disability, that that was one small part of who they were. But what really mattered was what they liked, what they were good at, how funny they were, how they loved to play or sing together. And so that really helped us start to think about what adults can do. Wait, I have a question. I have two questions. So I'm sorry I'm interrupting your flow, but okay. So do you think that's more the way that the child is raised or what's in their household that's kind of coming up with that? It's not a weakness that it's a strength. Yeah, good question. So I think it has everything to do with how kids are raised. And I think that means everyone around them, their parents, their siblings, their family, friends, and their school experiences. I think our society tends to treat disability like a bad word. Oh, don't talk about that. And it was really clear some kids had gotten that perception. One girl that we talked with said, I don't know how to say things. I don't know what I can say. And she actually told us that when we asked friends questions about her friend with a disability. She was so scared to say the word disability for fear that that word itself meant something bad. Other kids, though, knew that they could talk about difference in a way that wasn't bad or weird or sad or strange, just different. And the different was good. And that has to do with the discourse around kids, right? Like how people are talking with kids. Um, in many ways, their school experiences looked similar, right? They were go attending the same school. Many of them were in the same class. Some of them were even friends with the same child with a disability. And yet other aspects of their experiences helped them develop ways of thinking about disability that allowed to celebrate human diversity rather than be afraid of it. And I have another question that's that's been in my mind since you've been talking about this. But when you said Okay, the, the children that do have a, because um, communication is important, one of the key agents, right, you said. So when did you find out any information from um, the kids with not disabilities? When the communication was delayed or harder to get to, like, did they have any ways that they solve that or work around it? Because I'm trying to think, like, I have a couple of wow. my daughter's friends that are nonverbal and... I'm thinking, how do you help that along? Like, I know there's the augmentative devices and things like that, but that is, there's still a delay in getting those. So I, anyways, I just wonder what you've learned. Yeah, that's been a big part of what we've done is really try to like intervene and work with school teams to support that communication and play and engagement, which are also areas that can be challenging. On the communication side, really teaching peers, um, one, that it's okay to feel a little awkward about the interactions. Like, let's be honest interactions when we're interacting with someone who uses an AC device or who communicates differently than, you know, the, the mass majority of people can feel strange. And so for a seven-year-old kid who hasn't had a lot of experience with that, that can feel strange. So to really just help them feel comfortable with that, it's okay that your friend didn't respond right away. Here's what you can do. You can ask that question again, um, we're actually teaching kids to use augmentative devices like peers to use them 
which has been really, really helpful. So whether that's an iPad with the same application that the student uses on their device, whether that's just picture symbols printed off, right, that you can just point to, to help peers know, hey, you can use this too. It's like speaking a new language. Kids love that. They think they're like learning a new language, right? That's so cool. I can have this secret special way to talk with my friend. So I think the bottom line comes down to like, how do we teach kids really simple, natural things that they can do to support communication or play or engagement or whatever thing you feel like is the agent you need to help support these interactions. So what, so have you, are there any tips? Like, do you have tips and advice? Like what parents and I would say parents, teachers, family members. Um, yeah. Do? Like, yeah. So I think one clear thing is like, know that real friendships can happen. I think sometimes as a parent or even as a teacher, you can start to feel like, is that even possible? But just know like, we've seen these, lots of these. And so these are possible for real friendships to happen among kids with, with and without disabilities. I think the second tip would be recognize that it's probably not gonna happen naturally. So if you do nothing and literally take your hands off completely, probably these friendships aren't going to come to be. And why? I think it's because those key agents happen pretty naturally for kids without disabilities, but they don't happen naturally for kids among disabilities. And so like, let's take shared engagement in activities as an example. Um, many times kids with disabilities don't have the same opportunities to really actually be engaged. They might be in the same physical place but that's not the same as shared engagement in an activity. So an adult is going to need to scaffold that, going to need to support that in some ways. So one of the things that we've been doing is setting up what we call peer networks. These are a little bit like peer buddy programs, but they're really focused on the social side. So like let's set up times for kids to play and let's not just set up times for kids to play, but let's teach kids ways to play. So we taught peers very simple strategies. One example of a strategy was called copy talk. Watch how your friend plays. That's the copy. Talk about it. That's the talk. And in that talk about it, use pictures, use sign language, use that speech generating device, use whatever form of communication the child with a disability is learning. Okay, so, so wait, I, I need that. Like I, I'm visual, so I need to kind of see that. So, okay, so... What was it? Copy. Say it again. Say. Yeah. So one of the strategies we taught kids was called copy talk. Copy talk. So is the child with disabilities doing the talking and then the typical child is doing the copy talk? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So the child with the disability is kind of doing the playing. So um, imagine, for example, a child with autism. Um, who's also kind of mostly non-speaking. That child probably plays in some different ways than their peers um, right, so I'm putting Legos together, right? yeah right. they're playing Legos together and they're you know really whereas a, a eight-year-old peer normally maybe would be having this real kind of abstract side conversation not accessible right to the child with autism because it's not about what they're actually doing it's about right. what happened yesterday or what's going to happen tomorrow or all right. of these things so instead of those conversations we're just helping peers to know like oh let's talk about the here and now and while you're doing that, like, look how your friend likes to play. They like to play in some really cool ways. So maybe that child with autism loves to line up logs. 
that might not be how the peer naturally would pray, but they realize like, oh, I can follow their lead. I can watch what my friend does and then talk about that thing. And that's going to help get this true engagement rather than kids kind of playing parallel together without actually engaging. So it is kind of like educating the peer. Yeah, you're exactly right. Exactly right. Model for the peer, so the peer knows how to begin the engagement. Right. So yeah, I do that too because I've always felt, you know, our kids with disabilities, their their play peers are therapists, but therapists don't play like typical kids. You know, typical kids are like, no, I want it. (laughs) So anyway, but yeah, no, I love that. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And and we want to do this in ways that let peers feel like it's normal and natural. And that's actually what was so fun. This last project, we noticed that peers started using these strategies with each other, not just with the child with a disability. So when we saw, you know, typically developing peer A, watch typically developing peer B, and then do a copy talk for that friend. I was like, oh, this is awesome because it's not just different or special, right? It's not something I do only with this one friend. This is just a way of playing that includes everyone. And that's really what we wanna try to help strengthen is that social emotional awareness of typically developing kids to talk and play in ways that include everyone, um, not just to help kids with disabilities. Okay, so if you were trying to have your um, child do this, right, that you have a typical um, child and you want them to kind of do the copy talk, right? Mm-hmm. So you w- would tell them, because they're not going to have the benefit of you right there, right? So the simplified would be like, watch the other, the other child and then maybe copy what they're doing, right? So step yep. one is watch. Yep. Step two, and I'm labeling these. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. I'm just trying to grasp it. So one, we're going to watch. Two, we're going to copy what they're doing. And three, we're going to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. So I'm stacking up my power. I can say, look at how tall it is. Or, you know, some simple comment that builds in this rich language environment, but it's tied to what's happening. And that can be so helpful for supporting true engagement among these kids yeah no i love it so where um where are you guys taking all of this research i mean you're trying to where will it go i mean when you yeah what a good question so we right now have a four-year grant from the federal government to develop this intervention model and what i mean by development is like really actually figure out how it works and then make all the things that a teacher could take it and do it And so we're early in that process, um, you know, in this four-year grant, we're in year one. uh, But at the end of year four, we want to have all of this publicly available. So a parent who's like, man, I wish I knew how to partner with my child's educational team to help support these things could go on this website, find these materials, and then partner with their child's team to think about what aspects would fit well in their school rhythms. So it, it's not up yet. Is that website up yet or not yet? Yeah, you're exactly right. It doesn't exist yet. But that's our goal is to really have access to that. We have, uh, you know, some research articles out and those sorts of things, but just aren't yet at that point to have that. Oh, but I like those little tips that you like that I just got. Right. It's watch. Mo- play. Oh, wait, copy. Watch. Talk. Uh-huh. Wait, wait. No, well, I messed it up. It's watch. <laughs> It's copy and then talk about it. 
Yeah, right? exactly. Watch, model, copy. Or we're not going to tell kids to model, but watch, copy, uh, talk. Yep. So I think those are good, right? That's a good, those are three little steps that help. That would help with anything, right? Because that's kind of what you do uh, trying to teach the, the um, disabled child too, right? You know, you kind of, you have them watch, you have, and then you model it and then uh, try to talk about it. But so yeah. they just reverse for the kids. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I think that point is a good one. Often I think we think we can just tell kids without disabilities things and they'll know how to do it. That's not how people learn. And so if we're trying to teach a peer some strategies that we think will be fun ways for them to talk and play with their friend with a disability, we can't just tell them. So we actually also need to model it. We need to really kind of coach them on it, tell them what they're doing well, help them, you know, do things differently, not just say, you know, telling information to kids doesn't get us very far, I guess is the point. Yeah, no. All right. Well, you're going to, I love this. So you're going to have to keep us in the loop. And as you continue on learning, like share so that we can like help spread the word about this. Um, yeah, absolutely. Families, because I think it's, it's both, you know, I mean, you need the families and the teachers and. You need the whole community to do it. So Absolutely. So thank you so much. So keep us in the loop. I appreciate you um, coming on and sharing with us. Was there anything else you wanted to share that I didn't ask about? No, this has been fun. Um, I think what a, what a great topic to be thinking about. Yeah, no, I love it too. I really appreciate you coming on, especially we just, our last issue was all about inclusion. So we're teaching about educating about inclusion because it is, it's, you know, it's, it's, this is the process. It starts right. And opening the doors to change. So thank you for being with us today on Parenting Special Needs Live. And thank you all for listening. I'm Shantae. And in case no one has told you today, you are doing a good job. Um, be good to you. And I'll talk to you soon.